when watching late evening stations or cable channels and observing the range of highly visible advertising touting new treatments for persons living with HIV, one would think the disease is well under control. Yes, new treatments have made life a lot more manageable for those living with HIV. However, it is still a challenge in related areas of life. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. The COVID-19 pandemic has done much to lessen the public visibility of HIV-AIDS. However, infections are still occurring, and those diagnosed with HIV are still in need of health care services and behavioral health support. For more than 30 years, the Colorado Health Network, CHN, has been providing such for Coloradans from their six locations in Pueblo, Fort Collins, Greeley, Denver, Grand Junction, and Colorado Springs. The CHN is led by CEO Daryl Vigil, who joins us again for this edition. Uh, PrEP is is, uh, the acronym for pre-exposure prophylaxis. This is also a -a pill-a-day regimen for folks who are HIV negative but feel that they might be at risk for acquiring HIV. And um, that is close to but not at 100% effective but very high up there. So if you are on PrEP, you are 90-some percent um, protected from acquiring HIV Mm -hmm. in an unprotected sex situation. So, uh, you know, when I talk about getting an HIV-positive person to an undetectable level, If you combine that with a partner who is on PrEP, um, even the government will say there is zero chance that there will be an HIV transmission if you have those two situations. And if you have zero chance of that, that means your life expectancy is just going to be just like the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. That's correct. Yep, that's the great part about that. Now, we're probably leaving too many people with the impression that um, HIV and AIDS is only transmitted through uh, uh, sexual contact. You have a syringe access program. How does that work? Because people who uh, who use drugs and use syringes, they also can contract. That's correct. You know, we have found um, over the decades, really, that folks uh, who share needles, a lot of folks who may not have access to resources, who are substance users, and share needles uh, are uh, sharing other uh, conditions as well among the HIV among others. And so our organization works with folks to provide uh, clean needles and syringes to folks that are using substances so that they're uh, safe and they're not uh, transmitting uh, HIV and other bloodborne conditions to others. This is still a very controversial service, but the mission of our organization includes uh, a statement about preventing the spread of HIV, and our board of directors has always said that if science tells us that there is an effective way to either treat or prevent the spread of HIV, we will be on board with that science and do what we can to help make that work. And that's that's why we're so passionate about being able to provide this service uh, to folks. The science leads. Uh, so that means you're paying a lot of attention to what the uh, – uh, Centers for Disease Control and the progress they and research that they are doing and recommendations that they are passing out too. Yes, that's correct. I mean, we we follow the guidance of our state and local health departments um, and work really well with them. And and obviously, uh, you know, the Centers for Disease Control who who uh, share information with them, so it gets passed on down the line. But you know, it, science is is where it's at, and the science is the way we've been able to. 
uh, have these advancements in treatment and care so that this can be managed as a chronic condition today. And so there's definitely proof in the proof is in the pudding, so to speak, I guess. Proof is and, in the pudding, uh, yeah. We definitely are supportive of um, evidence-based methods uh, for reducing transmission of HIV and other bloodborne conditions as well as treating it. Um, Colorado Health Network also has health care services. Tell us about those because I didn't know, know that you had expanded there. Yeah, in 2014, we um, started providing dental services. We actually brought a dental organization into our organization through merger. Um, it was actually an organization that had spun out of our uh, Colorado AIDS project, which is what we originally did business under mm-hmm. um, back in 1983. And we, our idea was we wanted to be able to provide, you know, all services, that whole health services model for our clients and patients. And then um, in 2017, we started a medical clinic here in the Denver office, and we've slowly been expanding uh, primarily dental services to our other office locations um, in Fort Collins and Colorado Springs. But we really want to be able to provide that full health care to folks. We've really expanded our behavioral health services as well, just with the idea of it's great to be able to see folks come into our location and have all their uh, needs met um, in a one-stop shop, so to speak. Was the medical clinic also in response to some doctors early on that didn't want to uh, treat people who they suspected may have been HIV positive? That was actually our dental clinic. Um, it, it started uh-huh. when it spun out of our organization. It uh, was named Howard Dental Center, and that was after Dr. Howard, who started Uh, the practice because he saw a need to serve people living with HIV because so many dentists didn't want to see them. There there was so much fear early on about not knowing how HIV was transmitted. Um, And, you know, once, uh, you know, folks found that, you know, they knew how it was transmitted and how it was not transmitted, there was still fear and and stigma. Uh And Dr. Howard was definitely passionate about making sure that folks were able to to receive dental services without that stigma. Yeah, and dental health, because if the dentist is just cleaning your teeth, sometimes he touches gums and then he has blood. Yes, that's correct. I mean, with any dental practice or any medical practice, they definitely are uh, trained and well-versed on using that personal protective uh, equipment and making sure that they're doing everything, taking every precaution to uh, protect themselves and protect their patients as well. Is behavioral health a part of your health care service outreach as well? It is. We've really expanded our behavioral health care services. Um, a, a lot of that expansion came around during the COVID pandemic. We, uh, of course, probably across the globe, there was a lot of uh, increased anxiety around COVID, and we were able to get some funding uh, with COVID relief dollars to expand the program so that we could offer Uh, telehealth um, sessions to folks for behavioral health services. And we're actually still continuing that, not only is it convenient, but it's just as effective as as being in person uh, in order to help our folks out. Telehealth is just as effective as being in person. That's got to be an asset to those who live in rural communities. Absolutely. And that's been the big area where we've found that this helps. It's a lot easier to, uh, at least for us, it's been easier to hire behavioral health professionals in the Denver area, and, and, you know, in our Grand Junction office, it's been a little bit more challenging. So when we can have our clients out there, you know, log in to a a HIPAA-compliant service 
for a telehealth session. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just amazing. It's so convenient, and it works just as well. I know you're not a doctor or therapist, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. But people who live in who are living with with HIV, they have to become a little more mentally strong because they're having to face the medication day after day. And so are we seeing that their mental health status is becoming stronger so that they can live that full life? You know, we've definitely seen that our clients and patients have been very resilient. They have had a lot of challenges over their lives, and I think that does make a person um, stronger. I think anyone that is going through any sort of health challenge, you know, faces the you know day-to-day issues or periodic issues where mm-hmm. you know they're just not feeling well or having various struggles and it can take them into a period of depression and yeah. you know it's definitely important to be able to have uh, behavioral health services available for them so that they can uh, you know get back to to regular normal health just like any other health condition. So are you finding those who knock on your door for behavioral health? Uh, support um, they've had to do a little a little uh, training of themselves to say hey I need the help and I'm not crazy because some people don't want to do it because they self-stigmatize themselves but they know what they need so have you seen some of those people who had to work through that just to get there we definitely have and you know there's still a lot of stigma within you know some of our populations people of color are uh, Latinx programs and, and our, our black folks in our, you know, I, I'm a, a Hispanic man and, and you know, cultural, culturally, it has been difficult over the decades to talk about mental health care mm-hmm. because people see that as, you know, being weak. And I think that is slowly changing over time, but I think, but not I think, I see, we see in the numbers that um, people of color are still facing those challenges of stigma within their own families where they're less likely to reach out for help um, just because of that. Are we seeing an increase in uh, uh, people living with, uh, with, with HIV among people of color? Because at one time I think African Americans was on the rise and maybe Latino Americans have now caught up or, depre- or gone down. Uh, what's going on there? You know, there still is a disproportionate percentage of people of color acquiring HIV, and yeah. I think it is for some of those same stigma reasons. Um, it's uh, harder to talk about, I think, among um, people of color, and uh, we're still, you know, really focused on reaching out to communities where we do see a lot of people of color and sure. and. and and getting into those communities and doing outreach and testing and education uh, and also combining HIV testing with testing for other things. Because if you just advertise HIV testing, someone goes up to say you have a mobile unit and it says HIV testing, they're less likely to go there. But if you say you're testing for other things as well, they're going to be more likely to go because if you walk up, you don't know what they're going to be tested for. Sure. The other, the other group we've got to ask you about, too, is youth. Uh, are we seeing more youth living with uh, HIV? Because I would think with all the information out and all the experience that we've been, gone through in the next, last 30, 40 years, there's so much info that they can better protect themselves. And so I would think it would go down the other way or or not be on the rise. What are youth doing there? What's happening among them regarding living? You know, we're still seeing a high percentage of youth acquiring HIV. 
Um, I think a lot of it is because of what we talked about earlier. They are uh, we're not around to see people dying mm-hmm. left and right of of AIDS, and you know uh, they see that it's a chronic condition. So I think a lot sure. in a lot of cases, uh, some young folks view HIV like like other folks view diabetes as something that's treatable and not as uh, troubling as it would be to someone like you or me who we were around to see those decades where folks were dying in such great numbers and and not dying um, you know it was a, it was a horrible way to die back then and they just don't have any um, memory of that because yeah. they weren't around for it and that's a good thing because they can keep themselves healthier without that memory that is very true it's a good thing in that they don't have to uh, worry about that or deal with that, and there's a lot less stigma. But it's a bad thing because we still would rather have them protected and, and not uh, acquire HIV, and we're still seeing high percentages. So, uh, unfortunately, they are um, acquiring HIV at a rate higher than, than folks that are older than them. Our final area, real quick, what was the impact of COVID-19 on those living with HIV. I think uh, they may have, uh, you know, some benefits from it because there are a lot of delivery services now that deliver food that they didn't have 30 years ago, you know, and and maybe some restaurants because of having to space for uh, people with COVID, you know, they, they, some folks will feel more comfortable going there. What was the impact on those who are living with HIV that uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, generated? You know, I think it was probably very similar for people living with HIV as people uh, who are not living with HIV definitely benefited from increased delivery services. What we saw among our clients is, as I mentioned earlier, we're serving a lot of folks that don't have a lot of access to resources, and we do have food banks in each of our locations where we provide, you know, some of the staples that folks need, you know, from day to day and week to week. And so it was a little bit challenging because we – had to really modify the way we were delivering our services during the, you know, prime months of the COVID pandemic. And so it made it challenging to get those staples to folks and those that were lacking resources, I think were probably a little more impacted than the general population of people living with HIV. Many thanks to Daryl V. Hill, chief executive of the Colorado Health Network for sharing his insight with us again on this edition. You can connect with the CHN for HIV assistance or to support their work online at coloradohealthnetwork.org. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Grab your COVID booster shot for additional safety and protection and a flu shot as well. And we do appreciate you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.